Welcome to Northern Gold, a football podcast from the Press and Journal and Evening Express. I'm Ryan Crail, and today I'm joined by Andy Skinner and Jamie Durant as we discuss all the happenings over the last few days. And looking forward, we've got Aberdeen's Premiership opening win against Dundee United ahead of their next European adventure. On Thursday night, we've got Ross County's goals draw to start the season. In the top flight, we've also got Inverness getting off to a winning start. Surprise, surprise. In the Championship, plus Cove Rangers, Peterhead and Elgin City to discuss as well. But yes, first of all, guys, how are we? Um, I'm grand, thank you. Good, thanks. Glad it's all underway, finally. Yes. Um, well, I suppose it'll get stressful in the next few weeks, Andy. But yeah, glad glad to have the football back and with regularity. After, Although we did have the Euros in the summer, so it wasn't, it wasn't all bad. But yes... As I said, we will start with Aberdeen's, I would say, decent performance against Dundee United to win 2-0 at Pataudry, a game in which their opponents, to be honest, weren't at the races. But the Dons showing that they can win pretty comfortable, comfortably despite not really getting out of first gear. Guys, were you impressed with what you saw? I think it was pretty much the the perfect afternoon for Stephen Glass and uh, and the Aberdeen players. I think in in between sandwich in between two um, European games as well, and obviously in a competition that they're looking to progress in. I think they would have hoped for kind of a reasonably stress free afternoon at Petodri on the opening day of the season, and that's that's exactly what they got. Um, I've not seen, obviously I've not seen much of Dundee United in pre season, but I did expect a lot more from from them coming up. Up the year 90, but from an Aberdeen perspective, you've got two goals, a clean sheet, a few impressive individual performances and uh, fingers crossed, no injury concerns either heading into uh, the trip to Iceland on, on Thursday night. Yeah, really satisfying afternoon all round, I think. Um, comfortable probably sums it up and you know, you're right to say, Ryan and Jamie, you know, they didn't need to, to get out of, you know, first gear really. Um, United were pretty cynical to be honest in the in the game and um I, th- I think Aberdeen were actually quite quite clinical and, and and ruthless and and sort of putting the game to bed at you know the key points in the game where you know failure to to score the the opening goal in the first half could have you know dragged the game out and you know lent itself into United's favor given the way that they'd set up and to score the second so early on in the second half um you know just sort of put things to bed and yeah, there was never really any doubt from from that moment onwards. Sort of touching on what you said there, Andy, about United's approach. I think Willie Miller was, uh, well, having spoken to him yesterday, I don't think he was particularly impressed by Tom Quartz's side. I think he suggested that they, they started the game looking to draw and it'll be unsustainable and United will be in trouble if they don't um, start trying to be a bit more adventurous in their play um, during the Premiership season. On Aberdeen, we've touched on them being clinical with the, the goals. The first one, uh, a great little, I think it was an Emmanuel Thomas layoff potentially to Lewis Ferguson, who played a, a brilliant ball down the right channel to Johnny Hayes, who was freed from defensive duties for this game. He was in a, an attacking position once more, probably the position I think everyone would agree where he's most effective for Aberdeen. He was able to um, lift the ball past Benjamin Segrist, who, to be fair, um, was pretty slow in getting off his line. But the the real star, the star of the show and the, the moment of the match was Calvin Ramsey for the Dons' second. Um, I think he received 
the ball from Hayes, um, involved again, clearly. Uh, He had his back to Mark Reynolds, and as the ball approached Calvin Ramsey, he obviously let the ball run past him through Reynolds' legs, turned the former Dons defender, and played the most perfect ball onto Cristiano Ramirez's head, where this big striker was waiting to nod home for his second Dons goal. But yes, you couldn't help but be impressed by Calvin Ramsey, who only turned 18 on Saturday, could you? How, how much is he going to be worth in the future for Aberdeen? I was, I was just thinking earlier on, do you really want to be talking him up too much? You want to kind of keep him quiet and keep him around for yeah. a little bit longer. <laughs> don't uh, don't make the rest of the world aware of what, uh, what he's capable of. But uh, no, I think at the start of the season, we probably had a few question marks over what was going to happen with the with the right back slot for the Dons. Obviously, Shea Logan had departed and he's finished the season out on loan. Ronnie Hernandez was allowed to leave in January to Atlanta United. And I think they played Ross McCrory for a good part of the at the end of the season at, at right back. So over the summer, I think there was a little bit of concern as to what was going to happen. I mean, Jack Gurr was was brought in. Um, He's played a, f- a few kind of games in pre-season, but hasn't hasn't really featured um, since the competitive actions got underway. And Calvin Ramsey's been given the nod. And it's a real show of faith in someone who only just turned 18 last week, but he's, he seems someone who's got tremendous self-belief and confidence in his own ability. Um, and as long as he's got the faith of his manager and he's going to keep delivering performances like that, then there's no reason why he can't make that that right back spot his own. Um, I know it's still early days in his career, and he's not he's not yet played a full season of of senior football for Aberdeen, but there's there's definitely promising signs there. I think you know you've hit the nail on the head in terms of self belief there, uh, Jamie, because I mean the talent. As we saw just in that that one move alone for the the assist for Ramirez's goal, um, is there for all to see. But you know it's it's just really exciting to to kind of watch how how much he's going to grow as a result of you know continuing to play in that right back slot because you know it's it's a crucial part of the way Stephen Glass wants to play and, and having fullbacks getting on the ball and making things happen. Um, he covered well defensively a few times as well. He's he's very quick. I noticed, um, you know, from the game on Sunday, just um, how comfortable he was with the defensive aspect of the game and shouldering a lot of responsibility in terms of set pieces as well. I've I've seen he's taken pretty much all the corners so far. So, um, you know, there's clearly a, a big role for him in this Aberdeen team. And uh, Stephen Glass, despite you know Calvin's young age, has not shown any. Hesitation and and giving him a you know a massive platform from which you can only see him developing uh, with a you know a full season under his belt. Yeah, as Jamie said, Jack Gurr when he came in the summer, I think all the attention was on him being the Dons' new first choice right back and how he was going to get on, having come from Atlanta United too. But I think Calvin Ramsey's taken us all by surprise by how quickly he seems to have nailed down that first choice spot in that position. I think what strikes me with him and with Jack McKenzie is how so fearless, fearless they are with the ball at their feet. They aren't, they aren't scared to, you know, beat a man and get to the byline and play a ball in. I think the other, the other player who's um, a key role for Aberdeen has become apparent in his first few games is Scott Brown. Obviously, having arrived in the summer, um, I think on Sunday there were a few moments where Ross McCrory and Andy Constantine got split at centre back. I'm, I'm not too convinced by them as a partnership yet. I think Declan Gallagher will come in soon enough. He's obviously a Scotland international. He's not going to rot on the bench. 
But when Ross McCrory and Andy Constantine were kind of under pressure, the Dons are intent to playing out from the back, so they are going to find themselves under pressure this season. Scott Brown's always the first man that's there nearby to receive the ball. Doesn't not scared of taking it. Clearly, I've seen that over the course of his career in any sort of doesn't matter how many people are surrounding him, he'll take the ball and he'll do something clever with it. There was a particularly good um, clip on social media doing the rounds, which I didn't really see when I was at the game, but only saw it afterwards. But he received the ball kind of near halfway line and he plays a sort of back heel, I think, to J. Emmanuel Thomas that takes out about four about four Dundee United players. It's pretty impressive, so seek that out if you haven't seen it. Um, also worth noting, Funzo Ojo, before he was cynically chopped down towards the end of the game and potentially injured for Thursday's clash, by Charlie Mulgrew, another former Don. He um he was really busy as well. The only concern I'd have with Funzo Ojo is the fact that because he seems to now be playing as the most advanced of the central midfielders under Stephen Glass when he was probably the most defensive of the central midfielders when he played under Derek McInnes the few times he did. Um, he finds himself quite a lot near the corner flag with the ball and he's, he seems to be quite reluctant to cross and if he finds himself in the box he seems quite reluctant to shoot so I don't know if how that's going to develop over the course of the season there was one good moment in the first half to be fair where he, he teed up Ramsey on the overlap to kind of beat a man and win a corner but um the last person I wanted to ask you is about from on the basis of Sunday's game and the, what's happened in the, the first three games of the season I suppose is Christian Ramirez he's he's clearly a striker that's got that knack of being in the right place at the right time, um, as all good strikers have. And I'm not sure Aberdeen have necessarily had that, even when Sam Cosgrove was at, at his um, scoring best for the Dons in previous seasons. I think um, he never really had that um, right place, right time uh, habit that Ramirez appears to have. Like his two goals for Aberdeen so far have been close range finishes, but you've got to be there and know, know where to be and get away from your marker to score them. But he looks... Does he look the real deal? He certainly works hard as well. I think it was uh, it was Stevie Tosh that said in the during the commentary for the for the first leg against against Hecken that they hadn't had a, a, a striker like that in the in the penalty area since Adam Rooney left, and maybe maybe that is what they what they needed. Um, obviously, there was clear differences between Rooney and Cosgrove during their time here, and maybe Ramirez is a little bit of both. He can he can do the physical side of things and hold the ball up like like Cosgrove, but. If he can, if you've got someone who in and around the six yard box is is there getting himself on the end of crosses and sticking the ball in the back of the net, ultimately you don't care how the goals come. It's a goal. It's a goal for your team. So, I think early doors. I think it's a the signs are, again. The signs are promising. <laughs> Whether that kind of materialises throughout the full course of the season, who knows? I still think they need a little bit more depth in the striking position. But early early on, it's quite promising as far as Christian. Ramirez goes. Um, just one thing on on Ojo. I think the Dons don't necessarily have a natural attacking midfielder to play in the centre. Um, if you look at the other options they've got, I mean, Dylan McGeek, again, he's a, he's a kind of natural sitter. I think he's a little bit more technical than maybe someone like a Scott Brown. Um, but he's someone that's probably going to sit sit deeper. Um, Ferguson can probably roam around a little bit more having Ojo getting that in that advanced role. Um, whether you might see things change once Gallagher comes in, and I think McCrory may end up getting pushed further forward. Um, who knows? But I think for the time being, I think Ojo is probably the more sensible of the of the solutions in that 
he has the he has the energy levels and the the application to to press higher up the field. And I think Stephen Glass has said himself he's he's kind of very adaptable in terms of the tactical instructions he gets given. I also obviously mentioned energy levels there, Jamie. I also just before my last question, I, I touched on Ramirez's energy levels. It's, it's worth noting that he can only improve once the once his Don's teammates start getting used to the runs he's making because. He's, he's constantly on the move he's constantly sort of like running across the face of the defense and trying to get in behind so it's it's going to be an interesting one an exciting one to watch and i should of course um my my love affair with j emmanuel thomas um continues uh, i just think that he is a player who although he's perhaps not the busiest um he's got a, a a phenomenal touch. He can, he, yeah, he seems to be able to control any pass that's played to him, apart from in that um, first ten minutes away at Hacking. But he also can just create moments of magic and play brilliant passes out of nothing. There was a there was another one that I remember in the first half against Dundee United at the weekend. Um, anyway, Breda Blick next up on Thursday. Icelandic team don't appear Jamie to have too many stars in their ranks, if any. But they, they obviously knocked out Austria Vienna or Austria Wien in the last round, the second qualifying round. Um and they won a domestic fixture against Vikinger Reykjavik 4 0 um yesterday. So all I all I can kind of um surmise is that they're a team with no stars, but they they're very much a team in the purest sense and that they're greater than the sum of their parts. Is that what Jim Bet, who you spoke to, thought about them? Yeah, I think Jim's been reasonably impressed with what he's seen from from Blader Blick. He watched the away game um, against Austria Vienna, which was, um, I believe, it was a one-one draw. Um, so they were they were kind of more than worthy uh, victors over the two legs, knocking out a team that's kind of got substantial, substantially more European pedigree than themselves. They are clearly a well-drilled unit. They're challenging at the top end of the uh, the Icelandic top division. Um, it was a great result for them on on Monday night against against Vikinger winning four 0 considering Vikinger kind of a second in the table, um, and I think the the thing you've got to kind of balance is with the Breda Blick are fourteen games into their league season they've also played an extra round of European football as well compared to Aberdeen so they will have a little bit of advantage in terms of in terms of match sharpness and I think that showed in the games against Austria Vienna that they came through. Um, that they maybe were a little a touch sharper than their than their opponents. Um, Jim was kind of he was kind of raised the point of whether the having such a big game in the league just three days before they played Aberdeen whether that would have a negative effect on on them or not um, in terms of kind of fatigue. But I think getting a result like that should you would think it should buoy them um, for for Thursday night uh, with Aberdeen coming to town. I think. Aberdeen still would be favourites to come through the first game with a positive result, and I think even in, you'd take a narrow, you take a narrow victory to take back to to Pitodri, um for the second leg. But I don't think you should un- underestimate them by by any stretch. They're, they're obviously on a consistent uh, a consistent run of form just now, and uh, they've proven in in European competition so far that they should be taken seriously. Yeah, it's it, it's obviously it's a difficult one to prepare for, and you know clearly a bit of short notice between rounds as well. But uh, you know I, I can't escape the feeling that you know Aberdeen have to see this as a, a huge opportunity to progress to the to the next round. Um, I think they just have to carry that that belief on from the the Haken game and the you know the emphatic nature of well, the first leg of that 
Um, even though the, the second leg didn't go quite their way, they'd, they'd sort of earned a, uh, you know, a, a pretty comfortable uh, margin going into the the, the second leg. And clearly, you know, Breda Blick have, have raised some eyebrows with, you know, their result, particularly against Austria Vienne. But um, I think Aberdeen do have to to look at this as being a, you know, a major chance to to progress even further in this uh, this competition. I'll just apologise now for the the many pronunciations we've given of some of these teams on this week's episode of Northern Goal. Andy, you mentioned the chance Aberdeen have to progress to the group stage in Europe for the first time since it was achieved under Jimmy Calderwood. Obviously, that was a, a different competition. That was UEFA Cup back then, and the Dons didn't quite manage to get over the line in the Europa League in the groups um, under Derek McInnes. Um, but the Europa Conference League certainly looks to be given them this year, at least, with the draw they've received um, the best opportunity they could hope for. Still got to win the games, but we know now that in the playoff round, should they get past Breda Blick, they'll either take on Karabag of Azerbaijan or they'll be back in Cyprus, somewhere they went under McInnes, um, this time to take on AEL Limassol. So we'll need to work. We'll need to find out who wins that tie. And then if Aberdeen can get past Breda Blick, that's the team they will take on. Uh, it's also worth noting that the Dons take on David Martindale's Livingston on Sunday. Um, a team that quite a lot of people, to be fair, at the moment are tipping for the bottom six of the Premiership. So with a feel-good factor around Todry, you never know, it could be two wins this week. I think that's what they'll be aiming for. Um, anyway, we'll move on from the Dons. And next up, we'll discuss Ross County and Inverness, our teams in the north. Are you a Don supporting Loon or Quine? You're probably pictured in the Red Army book. Do you know any Aberdeen supporters? They're probably in the book too. You, your friends, your family, your tribe are in this book. This is a football book with a difference. is isn't really about the players, the games, the on-field achievements. It's about you, the supporter. It tells the story of the supporter's journey. It shows them in the glory years, the lean years, in song, in anger and in pubs. It shows the Red Army on the march, laughing and celebrating, home and away, young and old, for better or worse. Have a look through the book. Every few pages you exclaim, I ken that lad, I was there, I remember that, or Furry Boots is yon. There has never been an Aberdeen book like this. There never will be again. As a Northern Goal listener, you can get an exclusive 20% discount on Red Army at dcthompsonshop.co.uk using the code ARMY20 at checkout. That's A-R-M-Y-2-0 at the checkout of dcthompsonshop.co.uk. Check the episode notes for details and terms. Okay, so Andy, first of all, Ross County getting their top flight campaign underway under new boss Malky Mackay, looking to be a team that isn't flirting with relegation all season long this time around. They want to be a sort of, you know, a solid premiership outfit. They started with a, a goalless draw against double cup winner St Johnston. How was the how was the performance? I think it was encouraging, um, albeit it's pretty clear that uh, it, it's not the finished article yet. Um, I, I think the biggest takeaway from it would be how much more solid and, and well-organised County looked. Uh, coming up against St Johnston, a team you know that had a, a lot 
of uh, you know confidence based on on their great performance last season. The first half in particular, County limited them to to very little. Um, I think that changed a little bit as the game went on, and St Johnson did increasingly look like they they were the team that were going to to take three points if there was going to be one. But uh, you know, for for County to be able to weather that kind of late storm and and claim the point goes down as a, a pretty good result, I think, um, especially when it's you know abundantly clear that. Uh, the the staggy side is is far from complete, and you know will undoubtedly look very different come the uh, the end of the summer transfer window at the end of this month. I mentioned obviously that Livingston are a team that people are talking about as a team for the bottom six, and I also predicted an Evening Express supplement for the start of the season. Aberdeen would finish second, so you know I'm, I'm clearly getting into these predictions. Um, Ross County are another team that are. I think quite easy for sort of your general Scottish football fan to point out as a team that's probably under threat this season in the Premiership, just based on how they got on last season. Um, obviously, narrowly escaping a relegation playoff, but given they get, get given they make a few more additions, and they obviously brought in defender Harry Clark from Arsenal on a season-long loan yesterday. The latest player they've taken in from a big Premiership club. That's Malky Mackay's contacts in action there. But where where do you think, provided the strength and a little bit, Andy, that where do you think County realistically will be hoping to finish this season? Well, first of all, I mean, I think that that is uh, quite a, a fair prediction that they they will you know be down there or thereabouts because you know based on the last two seasons they've. They finished tenth, albeit one of them wasn't played to a finish. But you know, given that Hamilton have gone down now, and that was perennially the, the team that was always tipped to struggle, um, County probably do look quite vulnerable, um, particularly when you know it's been widely acknowledged that this top flight is the the strongest it's been in years. So you know, County know that the onus is on them to to make a big push to to avoid you know the hassle of another relegation battle and. I think they'll they'll look to the success that some other teams have had in recent years. Um, I look at Dundee United coming up last season. Uh, you know they were never really down, struggling against relegation. Um, St Mirren pushed on last season as well. You know they were comfortably clear of it and pushing for the top six. And then obviously you've got teams that have you know outperformed both of them and and St Johnson, you know Saturday's opponents and. And, and Livingston as well, who've um, been in the, the top six, uh, uh, you know, a couple of times as well. So, you know, there, there are benchmarks there for County to look towards. I think the the disruption that they've had in pre-season won't help them in terms of getting off to a, a good start. And now that the St. Johnson game's out of the way, I look to the next four league fixtures, which are against last season's top four in succession. So it's, it's going to be difficult you know, in this period for Malky Mackay to to get that first victory under his belt. But I do think that, uh, you know, there are encouraging signs about the, the level of player that he's managed to recruit so far. Um, and given that he's targeting, you know, a good six or seven more, uh, you know, you'd like to think that there could be a, a pretty decent team uh, on, on show there. Harry Clark is, is one that uh, was um, you know signed and sealed yesterday? Um, I think he's been in talks with the club for a, a few days now, and they've got that one over the line. Um, they'll be able to add David Cancola to the the group as well because he's finished his quarantine after the the move from 
Slovan Liberec, um, and I think Malky Mackay is hopeful of adding another couple uh, later in the week just to be part of the group for for the, the trip to Easter Road on Sunday. So I think they are, they are starting to make moves in terms of strengthening the squad, but another problem that they've got to deal with is Jake Vokins, the left-back that they signed on loan from Southampton, who had looked promising in, in filling that left-back or left-wing-back role in uh, the opening two Premier Sports Cup matches. Um, he suffered a, a, a metatarsal fracture on the eve of the, the game, which is going to rule him out for, for 10 weeks. So it's likely that County are going to need to find a, another option in that position, um, given that they, they don't really have anyone else. Uh, Regan Charles-Cook played um, in, in that position on Saturday and, and did a, a decent job, but he's you know he he's more comfortable further up the field. And I, from what I understand, I think Malky will revert to a back four when he's got the numbers for it. Um, they have been playing three at the back in the, the first few games, but I think once he's got you know that real depth across the the squad, um, it's more likely to be a, a back four that he goes back to. But as I say, the, the early signs were that they tightened up defensively, um, which has clearly been their Achilles heel for the last couple of seasons. Um, that threatened to change a wee bit when Cole Donaldson gave away the, the penalty with 20 minutes to go. Surprise, um, surprise. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they conceded a lot of penalties last season and you know that's maybe going to be a, a concern again. But um, I, I, I mean, it was it was one where I think Donaldson's momentum carried him into Reese Devine. Um, I, I didn't think there was too much of a, an argument against it, but uh, they certainly got away with with one. Um, given Ali McCann's execution of the spot kick, he had a bit of a shocker in skying it far over the bar. So um, definitely rode their luck a wee bit uh, as the game went on. But I, I think the the early signs are are looking um, reasonably promising that that County can can mount some sort of charge to be a a slightly more comfortable Premiership side this season. Hibs, obviously, on Saturday. And just just you listeners, how, how much more information on Ross County could you ask for than Andy Skinner has just delivered for you there? Um, Inverness, they obviously made a 1-0 win in the Championship at Arbroath, which, given how many times we've talked on this podcast about Inverness not making fast starts to campaigns, it's all you could ask for. Shane Sutherland's superb run and dinked finish beyond the keeper being the difference there um, Shane Sutherland has obviously shown his quality since moving to Inverness from Elgin I think we'd all agree that he probably should have been playing at the higher level all along um, full time certainly but um, it sounded like our both part time side still made Inverness work pretty hard at the end of the game to cling on to that lead would that be a fair assessment? I think so. Um, I think from what Billy Dodds was saying, Inverness very much had to show both sides of their game. Uh, I think they started pretty well and had a few chances in the first half, which could have you know, made it a, a bit of a more comfortable afternoon if they'd stuck a couple of them away. They did get the breakthrough pretty early on in the, the second half. Um, and it was a lovely finish from, from Shane, wasn't it? Just uh, through on goal. Uh, quite a lot of time to think about it, but you know, made it look very, very easy and just clipping it over the goalkeeper as he uh, tried to narrow his angle. Um, but thereafter, our growth, as you'd expect, um, 
you know, through everything at Cali Thistle and the defensive side of it was, you know, a concern that was highlighted by Billy Dodds throughout the, the Premier Sports Cup campaign. Um, there was a noticeable improvement against a, you know, a strong hearts team last week in the final group match. Um, so for Inverness to to get that clean sheet that's uh, eluded them since the, the Peter Head game, I think will be really pleasing for, for Billy and um, just getting a, a victory of any sort to start the season, just a, a huge boost to their, their confidence uh, based on you know what you said, Ryan, about you know the the traditional slow start that they've they've had in some previous years. Um, it, it was just everything that uh, that Billy could have uh, wished for on the day. Yeah, and they've got Wraith Rovers up next. They'll be looking to continue that start at the Caledonian Stadium. Right next up, we will discuss Cove, Peterhead, and Elgin in Leagues One and League Two, um, and then that'll be it for this week's episode of Northern Goal. Okay, Jamie, we'll start with Cove. You were at that one. They, they obviously played Falkirk in their League One opener. Two heavyweights of the division going toe-to-toe, although, of course, Cove are still part-time and Elgin are full-time. But 1-1 um, draw, Rory McAllister um, nabbing a point for the home side. How, how, how are Cove looking? They've obviously had a bit of a sort of, like a lot of teams have had a bit of a um, disrupted build-up to the new season. They done okay in spells in the Premier Sports Cup but are they are they looking good or looking like title challengers uh, they were, by the road admission they were pretty poor on Saturday um, Falkirk I think were, were clearly the better team at the Balmoral Stadium um, Cove didn't look sharp they didn't move the ball as well as they could um, and Falkirk seemed to kind of create plenty of, of chances going forward Callum Morrison down the right hand side um, was very impressive um, got plenty of plenty of deliveries into the box. Um, they did have six new starters, and it was probably uh, maybe an understandable element of it being disjointed. Um, but the positive side was they haven't lost the game. They played poorly, but they didn't get beat, um, which is an old cliche about kind of not about good teams not uh, kind of getting points when they're not playing well. Um, there's plenty to improve upon, definitely. Um, they were bailed out by Rory McAllister coming off the bench in the final twenty minutes and getting them an opportunistic goal that he's the kind of which he's thrived upon throughout his career in the lower leagues. Um, the, he's made a habit of scoring big goals, um, even in his short time at Cove. Um, he scored the winner in a title decider against Edinburgh City in in League Two. He scored the winner in a scrappy game against Partick last season at home. He scored the goal in. Kind of stoppage time, which looked to have won the the playoff semi final against Airdrie last season, and then he's come off the bench and, and scored here against Falkirk. So he's uh, he's clearly still got what it takes at, at this level to be a decisive player. I know he's kind of frustrated because he wants to be playing more games, but um, Paul Hartley's argument is that at his age, he's maybe needs to understand that he he's not going to play week in week out. He probably needs to have his workload managed a little bit more. But um, from a Cove perspective, there's there's definitely uh, huge rooms for improvement, and obviously the this weekend they're down the road at Queens Park, which will be a, a great test for them, given the strides that they've made in the in the last eighteen months or so. Shea Logan um, of of Aberdeen um, in the past, he he made his debut 
for Cove, um, despite not having any pre-season or any match practice, but was he? Did his class shine through playing in League One? I think it was clear that he was short of match sharpness. I think there was a couple of rusty touches on the ball, and maybe his distribution wasn't as on point as it could have been. And I think that's understandable, given that say he's he's barely had any preseason training. He's had no match practice at all. Been thrown straight into the first game of a of a league season. It's it's never going to be an easy task for him. Um, had Ryan Strachan been fully fit, I don't think Shea would have played. Um, Ryan had been struggling with a calf problem during the Premier Sports Cup. And I think had he been fit, he would have started at centre-half and Scott Ross would have played right back. Um, as it was, um, Ryan had only just come back and was on the bench for the game on Saturday. So Shea kind of had to start, I think. Um, Jevin Anderson had also come in. And again, he's another one who hadn't played anything in pre-season at all. So I think it was understandable that that Shea was maybe pitched in. But again, f- much like Cove, I think there's definite room for improvement there for, for him as well going forward. Peterhead won 2-0 against Alloa at Balmour in their League One opener. And what was a great start for the Blue Toon. Uh, Russell McLean scored the first after being teed up by Nia Payne. His strike partner with Payne getting the second himself and a man-of-the-match performance. Payne's obviously moved up um, having having played for Peterhead last season, commuting from England, he's he's moved up to Glasgow now, I believe, and he's he's clearly reaping the rewards of that. And I think Peterhead Jamie will be pretty pleased that in the post McAllister era, they've kind of struggled for a regular goal scorer. But it, it looks like with McLean coming in from Montrose, obviously returning to Peterhead, he's he's somebody we know can score goals at that level. And Nia Payne, if he's able to do it as well, then there's two two sources right there. Yeah, I spoke to. Spoke to Jim McAnally this morning. He was he was thrilled for Naya. Um, his kind of work rate and work rate and his attitude has never been in doubt. But obviously, he'd showed a great commitment to the club, travelling up from Leeds for training and for games. Um, and even before he was signed, he was still turning up to training, um, knowing he wouldn't be able to be like available until the January window had opened. So they kind of knew what they were going to get from him first off. And it was, I think it was a great moment for him to, to finally be able to, to open his account for the club. Um, and the signs of a partnership developing there with, with Russell McLean. Um, Russell, I'd seen him a couple of times against Cove last season, playing for Montrose. And he's, he's never someone that struggled for confidence. He always has a bit of a swagger about him. And given his, his stature, he's not someone you're going to miss on the field, particularly playing up front. Um, but I think now he's he's kind of thriving in in the mantle of being Peterhead's main striker. He was maybe a little bit in the shadow of, of Rory McAllister during his last spell there, and he was obviously still a very young player as well. He'd only he'd not long come out of out of kind of uh, reserve team football at Hearts when he first came to to Peterhead. But he's gone away. He's had a couple of years at Montrose where he's been in a team that has been successful, um, and he's come back. He's he's. He's someone that I think that will that will get Peterhead 15, 20 goals this season. And if that's if that kind of turns out to be the case, then there could be a very promising promising season in store at Balmore. The Blue Toon obviously go to Falkirk Stadium this weekend, so that'll be a good test for their their uh, where they stand this season, I would say. Um down in League Two, Elgin City began their campaign with a one one home draw. With Strand Rar, uh, Daryl McCarty had put Elgin in front in 23 minutes after a slow start to the first half, according to Gavin Price. Um, and then after a slow start to the second half as well, Grant Gallagher was able to equalise for the visitors. And I think that Price was pretty um, 
disappointed that his team didn't manage to get three points based on based on the game, especially the, the closing period where they had a lot of chances, enough chances to win two games. I think I heard him say, Andy uh, Elgin, if they want to if they want to win the title or be right up there in terms of the playoffs this season, they need to be putting the foot down against their rivals at home once they take the lead, don't they? Yeah, I mean, Stradar are a, a good side um, who were up there challenging pretty much toe-to-toe with Elgin last season. But it, it did seem, you know, based on how the game played out, that it, it was a bit of a missed opportunity because, um, you know, after Elgin suffering the setback of conceding to the, the Grant Gallagher goal just early in the second half, um, it, it seems as if Elgin's response was was excellent and they, they had no problem in creating chances um, and, and looked to be the team on the front foot as the the game neared the end. So, although the result isn't uh, catastrophic, to use a bit of a buzzword from the last few days, um, it's it's probably one that they you know they, they want to make sure that they're not looking back on this as you know a game where they they slipped up because you know Elgin had a good season last year. Um, they were pretty consistently in and around the the top four, but. You know, it was the odd result here and there that that just prevented them mounting that real serious challenge to Queen's Park, who eventually ran away with it pretty comfortably. So, you know, if the same thing is going to happen this season, and you know, Kelty, who people are tipping to be, you know, the the dominant team in League Two, um, you know, if they build up a, a good lead, then Elgin are certainly going to want to be in a position where where they're able to put pressure on them, and you know, I suppose. The, the home form is something that Elgin pride themselves on, um, and you know this was a chance for them to to get off to a, a winning start. But um, they, they certainly won't be too disheartened by by getting something at least from it. They'll certainly look to to build on that when they go to Cowdenbeath this weekend. Okay, Highland League um, wise, we've we had Brecon City beating Keith four nil. We had uh, for Martin. Beating Forest four one over the weekend, but Fraserburgh winning four 0 against Fort William. That game obviously took place at Bellsley instead of Clagan Park. Among the other notable results, we had Bucky Thistle winning away at Turriff four 0 as well. We also had a pretty barnstorming game between Strathspey and Wick, which ended three three. So that sounded like a rip roaring clash. Huntley won five two at Clackney for their first league win um, under Alan Hale. And Lossiemouth 2, Inverary Local Works 2, probably the first shock of the season, the first blow to one of our title rivals coming against, um, or one of our prospective title rivals, should I say, coming against a team that isn't maybe considered one of the teams that's going to be up there, but a great result for Lossie and a good week for Lossie after their North Cup exploits in midweek. Um, in terms of the teams we do expect to be up there, Brecon City, Fraserburgh and Bucky are the, the three teams with two wins from two so far. Fraserburgh obviously won the Aberdeenshire Cup against for Martin United um, in midweek. It was, of course, the Aberdeenshire Cup from 2020-21, though, with the next edition of the competition set to get underway in the coming days. If you want any more Highland League chat, you can visit our Highland League weekly show on the Press and Journal website. But that is it for this week's episode of the Northern Goal podcast. Thanks to Jamie and Andy for joining me today. Cheers, guys. No problem at all. Thanks very much. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can like and subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You can also email us at northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. And finally, enjoy whatever games you're watching this week. Cheers.
Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.